As you know, we have uh, started taking the issue of racial reconciliation very seriously uh, at Brentwood Baptist Church. I am convinced that if the issue of race in our country is going to be addressed and addressed redemptively, it will be because the churches of Jesus Christ across our land step into this gap. I do not think this is an issue that the government or politics can solve. Uh, but is an issue of human dignity, and that is the basic message of the gospel. And as you know, uh, part of this is I have uh, uh, become very good friends with Bishop Joseph Walker of uh, the Mount Zion Baptist Church, and our churches have done several things together. And in one of our meetings, we were talking about a variety of things, and, uh, and he said, now, when you celebrate Black History Month, I didn't say anything, I just let him go. If he assumed, then that's not my fault, you know. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I'm beginning to understand and that uh, Bishop Walker's helped me understand is that we need to understand each other's story. Uh, we need to understand the, the road that has brought us here and so we can better determine together how we're gonna take another road out. Now, um, so we're gonna do Black History Month. And we're going, to, we're going to start by introducing you to a, uh, a Baptist preacher. Do y'all know this guy? Every time, now here's what frustrates me. Every time you see a picture of Martin Luther King Jr., he's introduced as a great civil rights leader, right? How many times have you heard him called a Baptist preacher? He's a Baptist preacher. 1955, he is the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and how everybody has dignity and worth in the gospel. And that's where the Montgomery bus strike is planned and executed. Not in a political uh, meeting hall, not in a politician's office, but in the church. It was the preaching of Martin Luther King and other black pastors in Montgomery that started that civil rights movement. The bus boycott was planned in the basement of the, of, uh, of the, of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, Rosa Parks was a member of that church and chosen uh, to be the one who stood up because she understood the principles of nonviolence and how she was strong enough to take the abuse she would get and not respond in violence. All of that happened at a Baptist church. Now, how many times have you heard that? And this is important because his movement comes out of a church. We shall overcome. That wasn't written by activists. That's a spiritual. Made famous by none other than Mahalia Jackson. They took it from the worship service to the streets. That's where it happened. Now, here's why this is important. If we follow their story back to the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and we join with them, it's the one place where everybody is the same. We're all sinners saved by grace. Now, your story may be different, my story is different, but the fact of the matter is you're standing shoulder to shoulder with another loser. Somebody else who's messed up, somebody else who's broken, who met Jesus Christ, was confronted by Jesus Christ, and heard that worth of dignity. And when we begin to understand that, and we begin to sing that we shall overcome, not in response 
to political prompting, but as our own testimony. There will be a racial unity that happens that can only happen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world can't give you that because the world doesn't know anything about it. Now, since we're doing this, let's have a little fun with it. This is Joseph Walker's Twitter handle. You now have my permission to get out your phone and send him a tweet, a message on Twitter that you celebrated Black History Month at Brentwood Baptist Church. <laughs> Blow him up. I just want him blown up. <laughs> He'll be calling me this afternoon, and I hope it's a good one. I hope you are taking the initiative and meeting people who are not like you and carrying on that conversation, asking questions, getting to know their story so we can find the story that we have in common, that one of losers saved by grace. I love politics. Uh, and I love watching the political uh, ebb and flow of our country. Now, we're two years away from the next presidential election, and already the presidential candidates are lining up. Uh, we've had several from uh, Democrats uh, declare that they're running. Uh, we've had several Republicans talk about they may run against President Trump. Uh, and it's always interesting to see them test ideas and words to see what the public will respond to. Uh, and you'll see them floating out ideas and words, and they'll, they'll kind of pay attention to how uh, the polls respond. For instance, uh, there's a debate right now between a barrier and a wall. Okay? Now, no, now listen, I know, you know, from Alabama they're the same. But, but obviously in Washington they're different. There are politicians who will vote for a barrier but won't vote for a wall. There are politicians who insist on the wall and won't agree to a barrier because the words say different things, feel different ways, they poll differently. Yes, there are people asking other people who are sitting in a small room with a meter that says, when I say wall, and they turn it up real high, when I say barrier, eh, so they'll call back and say, go with wall, not barrier. It's, it's very interesting. So you can see how these kind of things are being floated out there, which ones get tested, which ones don't work. And we're all trying to find out right now who will drive the agenda in the 2020 election. Who will drive the agenda? Who will drive the discussion? What will be those items on that? Who will we recognize as an authority of who our nation has been, who our nation is now, and who our nation can be. Which brings an interesting question to you and me right now, doesn't it? Who drives your agenda? Who's the authority that you recognize in your life? That's the first question that Mark wants us to answer. He talks about it in the very first chapter of his gospel. Stand with me in honor of God's word. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered a synagogue, and on the Sabbath he began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching as one who had authority, 
and not like one of their scribes. Then a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked the demon and said, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw the man to the, into convulsions and shouted with a loud voice, and he came out of the man. And they were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, he went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. And so he went to her and took her by the hand, and he raised her up. The fever left her, and then she began to serve them. Who is this? Who teaches with such authority. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Come, Lord, Lord Jesus, to this place, even as you did to the synagogue in Capernaum. Teach us, and teach us with authority. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, Jesus has jacked things up to a whole new level. Now, it was one thing when he was a rabbi teaching. We're used to that. Uh, Jesus comes to Capernaum. He's been walking around the shore of Galilee. He's been teaching. People are beginning to listen to him and pay attention to him. And he begins to call disciples, followers. He calls Peter, and he calls Andrew, he calls James and John. They were local fishermen, and now they are following their rabbi Jesus. You see, that's what rabbis do. Rabbis start schools. Uh, they invite people to come live with them, and that's where you learn to be a rabbi or a teacher yourself. In those days, if you wanted to be a rabbi, you would literally go live with a rabbi. Uh, you would eat together, you would do life together, and most of your teaching would not be in the formal training, it'd be in those informal conversations that came up while you were doing life. So it wasn't unusual for a rabbi to come and begin to pull his school around him. They were used to that. But then he came to the synagogue. And he started teaching. Now, if you were a rabbi, you taught by quoting other rabbis. You would say, according to rabbi so-and-so, this is what we think about this passage. According to rabbi so-and-so, this is what we believe about who God is. And it was always the authority of the rabbis you quoted that was important. And you could trump another person's argument if you quoted a more important rabbi. So if you quoted Rabbi Junior, and I quoted Rabbi Senior, I would win the argument, not because the argument was more valid, but because I had the higher respected, the more respected rabbi. But Jesus shows up and just starts teaching, doesn't quote anybody else doesn't pull anybody in to back up what he's telling us. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, 
If anyone is angry with his brother, he's already committed murder. You have heard it said, but I say to you, according to who? Me. Nobody else. He doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't describe reality. He defines it. He creates it. This is somebody who is teaching that knows what he's talking about. Somebody in authority is somebody who's an expert. Do they know what they're talking about? If we get sick, we want to go to the authority and whatever we have. There's somebody who knows what to do with it and has the power, influence, wherewithal to actually get it done. That's the next thing we find out. Not only are his teachings as heavy, weighty, somebody who knows what they're talking about, but Jesus then begins to push back the darkness. Remember, he's introduced in the Gospel of Mark. There's no birth narrative. There's no shepherds, no uh, angels. It's just Jesus. John the Baptist is arrested, and Jesus comes preaching, and he's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, the glory of God is now pushing back the darkness. And the first place this darkness is pushed back is with the man who is possessed by a demon. We're not given any description. We don't know if it was a mental, emotional, or, uh, or physical possession. We just know this man was not in control of his own life for some reason, uh, some way. We also know that of all the people in that synagogue, the first, the first person to recognize who Jesus really is was the demon. And the presence of Jesus began to press out the presence of the demon. Light always pushes away the dark. Now, when the demon began to testify, Jesus told him to hush. It's not the first time Jesus told a demon to be quiet. He would not let darkness testify to his goodness. Now, if I was going to throw a cheap shot here, I would say the reason some of you have a hard time with evangelism is Jesus won't let demons say anything. But I won't throw that cheap shot. In the first chapter, Jesus reminds us, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the spiritual realities of the darkness. That's who we fight against. This past week, uh, our nation has been uh, debating and shocked by uh, the recent abortion laws that have been passed by several states. Uh, New York uh, has uh, an abortion law that, uh, that guarantees the right to abortion to the time of the child's birth. Uh, Virginia debated one that um, left open the opportunity uh, for the child to be 
killed, aborted after being born. And my question is, I'm 62 years past my birth. If you murdered me, is that nothing more than a post-birth abortion? Yeah, 62 years later. <laughs> but how, how do you even debate this? How do you look at a child and take that child's life because that child is merely inconvenient? We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the spiritual beings. People are buzzing now. Jesus is taught. He's cast out demons. After the church service, they go to Peter's home. Peter's mother-in-law is ill. Jesus is told about the mother-in-law. Jesus goes, takes her by the hand, raises her up. She is healed. And she begins to serve everybody. Now, if I was going to take another cheap shot, I'd say, see, ladies, Jesus comes in your life, get in the kitchen. But I ain't going there. <laughs> but if Jesus touches your life, the first thing you do, the first way we know that is by the way you serve his church. It's also interesting that Peter did not ask Jesus to heal her. <laughs> they did. Peter didn't. Hey, Pete, Jesus healed your mother-in-law. Great. <laughs> Let me stop just a minute. Will, my mother-in-law. Wildred, I know you're watching. I love you. It's just a joke, okay? Just a joke. <laughs> Cast out the demons. Heal the sick. The kingdom of God is at hand. And here's what it looks like when it gets here. The authority he knows and has the power to get it done. Now, we live in a time where everybody claims to have the truth and know the truth. And, and we, are, we are taught to be tolerant of everyone else's viewpoint. And listen, I'm, I'm believing being kind and, and gentle to, to all of our friends. But there's a time when you have to, when I, as your pastor and as your friend, I have to be as blunt with you as I know how to be. I can't assume that you have sometimes how overheard or picked up some of the subtle points that I try to make. At the end of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus tells a story. He said, the one who hears my words and obeys them. It's like a man who built his house, and he built his house on the rock, and the rains fell, and the river flooded, and the wind blew, and the house stood because it was built on the rock. Those who, do, who hear my words and do not obey them are like a man who built his house on the sand, and the rains came, and the river rose, and the winds blew, and the house fell. 
And it was an incredible fall. Every day, you're given some kind of new viewpoint, vantage point, authority, truth to build your life on. Let me be as blunt as I possibly can be. Jesus is the only one who's right. Everybody else is wrong. And the way we know they're wrong is the house built on their teachings falls. Our families are broken. Our marriages struggle. Why? Because we built our houses on sand. Jesus is the authority. He's the only one who has come from God. He's the only one who knows the way back. He is the truth. The only truth. And everybody else is wrong. Let's pray together. I know some of you have the best of intentions. I know what you mean. I know what you, you're trying to accomplish. And you're working hard, but you're building your house in the wrong place. And the storm will come. The storm comes to all of us. And when it comes, your house is not going to be able to stand because you didn't believe Jesus was the truth. And this is the time you have to get ready for that storm by hearing what Jesus has talked about and believing in him today. By understanding that what is broken in your life, you cannot fix. What you have lost, you cannot find again. that Jesus died to pay for those mistakes, those sins, and his resurrection gives you a second chance of a life with purpose and hope, meaning and direction. A life you didn't even know was possible, but it's his free gift to you. And I know I'm saying a whole lot, just a handful of words. That's why our friends are out of the table, says next steps, and they're waiting for you right now. They want to pick up this conversation where I'm leaving off to tell you more about who Jesus is and what he can do for you. Do not leave this place with those questions unanswered. To become part of our church, they're waiting on you. However the Lord is leading you, he's waiting for you where you are. As the church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray the decisions we make now.